Well, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. You, you do the right thing, but your heart is just not in it. And when I was a kid, we were at a, uh, my cousin and I were at this church event. It was like a VBS or something like that. And there was this kid, Brad, we didn't like. And we, used, we didn't bully him, but we, did, we um, picked on him. And we, we would trip him, um, just knock him over. And, and that was just what we did because we didn't like Brad. And my mom uh, found out about this, and so she said, you need, to, you need to go to Brad, and you need to tell him that you're sorry for tripping him, and you need to ask him to be your friend and invite him over to play at the house. So I went to Brad. I said, Brad, I'm sorry we tripped you. Will you be my friend and come play at my house? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he did. He came over, Brad came over to my house. We had a decent time. Like, I was a pretty fun guy when I wasn't, you know, tripping you. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, I just, I couldn't imagine that he accepted this apology, and I didn't, you know, it didn't change my heart. About it. I look back at it now. I'm a, I feel terrible. I'm appalled at what we did to this kid. But at the time, you know, my heart really wasn't in it. And um, I'm sure you felt that way. At times in your own life, you do the right thing, your heart's not in it. Here's the thing. As followers of Jesus Christ and in Jesus' kingdom, Jesus says it's your heart that really matters. It's actually, I care less that you're doing the right thing and I care a lot more about the condition of your heart. Because Jesus said, I have come to, to give you new life and with that new life comes a new heart that's being transformed to be more like Jesus. That can truly be to truly desire what is good and right and not just an outward appearance of doing what's right but just an inward motivation and this part of the sermon on the mount jesus tackles it head on and he explains this principle of 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 having a heart to, to to be obedient the heart that is changed and we need this kind of a heart because every one of us regardless of how long you've been following jesus we have this old way, this old heart that's dying away, and this new thing that's being formed in us, and we need to foster that new life through fellowship with God. And so I think we'd all admit that we, on one level or another, we need this. So let's pray. Father, we do pray that in this time, you would do your work on our hearts, and we humbly just admit that we need it, and that we need to be reminded of these things, and we need you to do your good work so that we might truly live as, uh, as citizens of your kingdom, as your children, and, and that, we would, that that would bring you honor, our loving Father, and that you would put, prompt us and push us in this way. So we give ourselves to you, um, asking you to do your work and asking you to help us to be obedient to what you are calling us to, Lord. We thank you that you are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here Jesus, in, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, very famous teaching of Jesus, he lays out the principle, and then so I want to do that, and then he gives six applications of it. We're just going to take the first three, just for the sake of time mostly, but uh, you can look at the rest of those in Matthew chapter 5. But once you understand the principle, you could actually apply it in all of, all, all of life. So, so here's the principle. The principle is that in Jesus' kingdom... The law, his, his rule, is a matter of the heart. The law was so important 
to people in Jesus' day. His, his early followers here, his disciples, they're all Jewish believers. They, uh, they knew that God's law was important. God had given them his law as a way of experiencing life and experiencing the world around them. But Jesus hasn't said anything yet about the law. He began his teaching by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the, those who mourn, blessed are the meek, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, all those blessings. But these listeners, they would have understood uh, when, when Jesus said, blessed is the person who, you got to remember that their prayer book, the Jewish prayer book, the, the, um, the, we, what we call the book of Psalms, vast portions of these would have been memorized by these people. And the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, and actually many of you have memorized it too, it says, Blessed is the one who, so this kind of blessed is language would be familiar, but in Psalm 1, it's blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. In, in their day, their understanding of blessing was the blessed one is the one who loves God's law, who obeys God's law, who meditates on God's law. It's all about the law. So Jesus needs to speak to this. So he hits it right head on. Because right away early in his ministry, people saw Jesus as, in some ways, opposed to the law. That Jesus was some sort of lawbreaker because of what he did on the Sabbath or because of the way they did different ceremonial things, him and his disciples. But Jesus confronts it head on in verse 17. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus makes it so clear. I'm not here to, to be against that. I'm all for that. I fulfill that. I complete it. I am I'm here to fulfill this law. And, and certainly Jesus did fulfill God's law. And he said, anybody who's going to follow me in my kingdom, you also need to follow this law. Which can seem strange to us to say, well, I thought we don't, as Christians, we don't follow all the Old Testament law. I thought we were sort of free from those things. Well, there's different types of law. In the Old Testament, there was, the, there was civil law. There was their national law. God revealed his, his laws to a nation of people, and they were to govern themselves a certain way. When Jesus comes in, he says, I'm the king of, I am the king of this whole system, and it's no longer a geopolitical nation. It's, it's an international family. It's, a, it's an international, it doesn't fit any geopolitical boundaries. It's beyond any ethnic group or beyond any one family. It's every tribe and tongue and nation. And so some of those laws for governing as a nation are no longer necessary because Jesus has brought in a much fuller kingdom. There was also, in the Old Testament, there was ceremonial law. And this is, had a lot to do with the sacrificial system, which had a lot to do with, you know, how do you deal with your sin? And by offering sacrifices and going to the temple. Now, Jesus, we know, offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice. And it was a once-for-all sacrifice that didn't need to be repeated. Jesus fulfills that law. He doesn't, it's not that he abolished it, it's that he completed it by his death in, on the cross and his resurrection. So as we put our faith in Jesus, we don't have to do all these ceremonial laws and sacrifices. 
that Jesus provides our atonement for us. But in the Old Testament, there was also the moral law. It was summarized in the Ten Commandments and uh, elaborated in other parts of the law. And Jesus also fulfilled that law. He perfectly obeyed that law. And that law, that moral law, stands today. And we also must follow this moral code that God has laid out. And so, so Jesus says in, in verse 20, he says, I tell you that unless, he's telling his followers, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you want to be part of my kingdom, you have to be perfect law followers. You have to be uh, obedient even greater than this group called the Pharisees. Now, the, the Pharisees were really good at keeping the law. They were the best. They, they knew the law. They studied it. There was legal experts. And they, they would do anything they could to not break that law. So they would make extra laws and extra rules so that they wouldn't even accidentally break the law. They just had all these boundaries in a very strict, in a very legalistic way of life. And Jesus said... Your righteousness has to be greater than theirs. And you say, ooh, that's a tough one. What about blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus? You just said that, didn't you? Um, And isn't this a kingdom of of your grace? And now we've got to follow all these, these laws and all this legal stuff. And I'm supposed to do it more than this group? And they're so good at it. And everybody knows they're good at it. What Jesus is saying here, he said, look, there's, there's different kinds of righteousness. There's legal righteousness. You know, you did the right thing. But then there's heart righteousness. And that heart righteousness is greater. It is deeper. I'm not looking for more obedience. I'm looking for deeper obedience. Inward righteousness. And when Jesus demonstrates this and when he teaches this in his kingdom, it's just the fulfillment of what was promised about God's kingdom. From time past. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied about it. In Jeremiah 31, he said, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's like that God's law is going to be written on the heart and it's very relational. I'm your God, you're my people. You will know and desire to follow my way. It's not about following rules, it's about following me. Your God. The prophet Ezekiel, same thing. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus said, in this kingdom, in order to be part of it, the spirit has to do a work in your heart. And when the spirit does that work in your heart and gives you that new heart, you will obey and you will follow. And then the rest of this chapter shows what that looks like. Jesus said, let me, let me describe it to you. And I'm going to give you six examples. I'm, again, I'm just going to take three of these. So three applications of this principle. The first one is the application of murder in verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard, it, uh, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That should bother you every time you hear it. Very famous teaching. You've probably heard it a hundred times. It should bother you a hundred times. 
if you hear it. Because Jesus says that murder is more than just taking somebody else's life. It is a condition of the human heart that hates, that's angry. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger or righteous indignation, uh, not all anger, but certainly the type of anger that comes from um, hatred or pride or revenge or malice. It's, it's the kind of anger that just wants to harm somebody. It's the anger that just, I, I want you away from me. The anger, I want to punch you in the face kind of anger. Even though I don't punch you in the face. But Jesus said, you're a face puncher with your heart. You're a murderer. So what do we do? Say, whoa. I am considered, and the judgments described here are as if I'm a murderer. That type, that's a serious judgment. What am I to do? Jesus gives two sort of examples of how to avoid that type of murderous heart. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And the second example is a more of a court example. Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. The judge will hand you to the officer, you'll be thrown in prison, and I, truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Those are two different examples. One is about going to worship, the other is about being taken to court. But they're very similar in that Jesus is saying, you're realizing that you owe either you owe a debt or somebody has something against you and you need to deal with it. And you need to deal with it quickly. So whatever you're doing, just drop it and go deal with it. Because you're going to have to deal with it eventually. Do it now. You know, don't... Murder, if you, if you look at it as just like, oh, I've got a... I'm in a little fight with somebody or I'd prefer not to see them or I just would like to put it aside. Jesus is saying, look, this type of anger in this type of conflict is essentially, it's leading itself to murder in your heart. Deal with it. Don't, is elsewhere in scripture, don't let the sun go down in your anger. You gotta deal with it right away. Why would Jesus want us to go out of our way to reconcile with people? Because he went out of his way to reconcile with all of humanity. He leaves his heavenly throne and he comes to earth and he gives his life to be a reconciler. And he's called anybody in his kingdom who's put their faith in him to also be a reconciler. Or blessed are the peacemakers, he would say. That's the posture of the kingdom, and that's a matter of the heart. It's not just if you murdered somebody or not. Most of us in this room, I would think, have not murdered somebody. But every single one of us should be jarred by this teaching of Jesus. So that's the first application. The second application is the application of adultery. So like murder, it's, it's not just the act, but it's the condition of the heart. And adultery, it's the same thing. Verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And again, Jesus using the language of a man looking at a woman, but the opposite could easily be true. He's saying, look, there is a deep connection between your eyes and your heart. And he, said, he already said this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. This connection of the eyes and the heart. Now here the eyes are seeing something that is forming the heart, that is corrupting the heart. Um, 
you know, very rarely would somebody commit adultery without first thinking about it or entertaining an idea, an inner desire. And conversely, very rarely would somebody live very purely in in life and in marriage um, without intentionally guarding the heart and protecting the heart. So Jesus said, here's your solution. If your eyes are causing you to sin, just pluck them out, throw them away. And if your hand is if your if your hand is causing you to sin, you cut cut it off. Now, obviously, strong language. Uh, I think here a figure of speech, but very intentionally strong. I mean, Jesus said to his followers, "You need to take up your cross and follow. Deny yourself. Follow me." He's not picturing his disciples literally carrying crosses or literally being crucified on crosses, but very seriously putting to death sin. So if it's your eyes or what you look at, don't look. If it's your feet, don't go. If it's your hand, don't act. You know, knowing that my heart is, can be sinful, we, we don't even entertain. I'm not going to look at things or go places or do things that are going to draw me in a certain direction. Even if I haven't sort of crossed that line, legally I have not committed adultery. Jesus said, it's your heart condition that I care about. It's about being proactive not to let your heart go in that direction. And this is so important for us today, particularly in the world we live in, which is so hyper-sexualized in so many ways. And there's so many things to see and and experience and interact with. And and it's, you know, if you think about different things that are harmful, that, for example, um, alcoholism. There's this notion of a functional alcoholic. That means somebody who's dependent on alcohol in an unhealthy way, but you're not going to lose your job. You probably still keep your marriage. You're functioning like a normal adult in many ways, but very dependent with this chemical addiction. Adultery is the same way. You can be a functional adulterer, where you're probably not going to cheat on your spouse. You, You may not do something crazy, but you're allowing your heart to be drawn and taken captive by things that are destructive. So Jesus talked about murder, he talked about adultery, and then the third example with this, this principle of the following with the heart is, is about divorce. Now, divorce is a tough topic. Um, it really touches people's life at a very deep level, uh, people's, it, your emotions at a very deep level. If you've experienced it yourself, whether it's your own marriage or uh, your parents' marriage, um, it's... And again, Jesus would say, look, it's not just... You're either married or you're divorced, but there's there's a hundred different heart conditions that feed into this. And the pain that people experience where God has designed marriage for love and support and fulfillment, and it can turn into disappointment and bitterness and despair. But Jesus said the same principle applies in verse 31. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is saying, look, if you're looking for divorce or are we doing this divorce the right way, that's the equivalent to if you went out and committed adultery and destroyed your marriage that way. You know, just like hate is like murder and lust is like adultery, then seeking a way out of your marriage is a form of unfaithfulness. 
And it has the same type of effect as adultery on everyone involved. And again, here's the hard issue. In his day, it was, what are the grounds for divorce? How can we you know, best do this? What's the legal cause? And Jesus said, yeah, there is legal cause in certain circumstances for divorce. But your heart is already in the wrong place. That the heart, the condition of the heart is to, to love marriage and the institution of marriage and Jesus later, he explained, he, he explained this further because this type of teaching at, considers a lot of questions. Like, well, what if you do get remarried? Or what, what if I marry somebody who's been divorced? And it, it, there's all these kind of legalistic questions, which is exactly what Jesus is teaching against here. He said, well, what's your heart? What is the condition of your heart in this? And we always remember God's grace to forgive. You know, we'd all be murderers. We'd all be adulterers, except by the grace of God seeking his grace to change our hearts. But his standard is so high because it's every bit of my heart to desire what is good and what is right. We're actually going to circle back to this issue later in the, uh, in the sermon series because Jesus circles back to it because he raised so many questions. He had to explain it a little further. So we'll get to that. But the, the question for us is, you know, what is my heart you know, towards my spouse? It, it, is my heart to see, is there a way out? Or is my heart to to reconcile? And then Jesus gives three more examples of this notion of, you know, what is the condition of my heart relative to these sort of legalistic things? These laws, these rules. So what do we do? Well, I, I would say the severity of what Jesus is teaching here, this is very severe teaching, very strong teaching, that how quickly and how thoroughly Jesus wants us to deal with these things. So if you have any kind of anger, hatred in your heart, to deal with it quickly. You know, if there's anything that's causing the eyes to lust, you know, do away with it. Do not entertain it, not even a little. And if you're considering, you know, under what conditions might I, you know, no longer be married, that you need to ask the Lord to change your heart, to seek um, reconciliation, and to seek help with that. Many people just, again, with all of these things, you just wait too long until the problem is out of hand to deal with it quickly. But it's not, again, it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about the condition of the human heart. And that's where we need the Lord to do his good work. We need to ask the Lord to seek our hearts. God, show me what in my heart is offensive. Show me in my heart what is away from your will. And that you would change it. And that you would give me that new heart that I could follow you and follow you deeply. Let us pray. God, we do ask at this time, if you've prompted anything in our hearts, Lord, that you would show it to us and that we would respond in faith and obedience. You've called us to this amazing obedience, even holiness, Lord. And so we, we do need your grace because we fall so short of this standard. And yet, with the heart that you give us, we desire to know and to follow and to obey you, Lord. And it's good, because you know what is good for us. You know better than, than we do, for sure. So be gracious with us, Lord, as we, uh, as we invite you to invade our lives in this way. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.